Coming up, wet shoes, bug juice, and corkscrews. Also, drinking with the devil, ask the goat, and dead kids for Jesus. It's all coming up and going down on this episode of Kiss the Goat, filmed in color. Is everybody in? Is everybody in? Is everybody in? The ceremony is about to begin. My name is X. And I'm Cootie. And this is Kiss, Kiss the Goat. Goat. This circle is closed. Nothing is true and everything is permissible. This is episode 22 of Kiss the Goat and welcome to it. Everyone, please close your eyes, clasp your hands, and welcome the patron saint of Kiss the Goat, Mr. John Carradine. And this is John Carradine. Where witches pray, pray. I'm going to take the brain of a lesbian and put it into the body of a man who works for the telephone company. But why? What good will this do anybody? It'll show those fools who call me mad. This time around, we celebrate the 10th anniversary of a very special devil movie. Well, we missed the actual anniversary by a couple of months. The movie originally came out in February of 2005. Still in all, that means it's been out long enough for us to discuss the entire thing, so here's your spoiler alert for this episode. And this movie deserves to be talked about. While it certainly counts as a financial success, it's one of those movies people seem to have forgotten about. Which is strange, because the property is itself well-loved by fans, but this movie, based on the property... It depends on who you ask. So what did you think of it? Hang out for a while and we'll tell you exactly what we thought of Keanu Reeves in the 2005 movie Constantine. Back after this. Almost midnight. Enough time for one more story. They try to kill us. You ungodly warlock. <laughs> <laughs> Stay dead. What's the matter? You can't hold your liquor, huh? The Midnight Horror Show, the internet's goriest and raunchiest horror podcast since 2008. Now live every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern Time at tmhsradio.com. Listen on your mobile device with the TuneIn app. Search TMHS Radio or download us at iTunes, Podomatic, or the TMHS Radio page. My name is Mike. You may know me from the Evil Episodes podcast, where we talk about all that's good and bad on horror television. But I watch a lot of movies, too, and you can hear me and my panel of guests talk about these on the Not So Evil Episodes sidecast. 
My name is Doug. You may know me from the No Budget Nightmares podcast. Every month, we choose a theme that allows us to talk about some movies that don't always get the love or seething hatred they deserve. My name is Iris. You may know me from the Badasses, Boobs, and Body Counts podcast. Whether we're defending a movie we love or ripping apart a movie we hate, you can always expect some spirited and passionate discussion about movies on the Not So Legal Episodes podcast. My name is X. You may know me from the Kiss the Goat podcast. Join us once a month for unpredictable, not safe for work discussion about some of the best and worst movies ever made. There's not often a fight, but sometimes there is. That's a not so evil episode sidecast turning movies inside out for your listening pleasure. You can find us on the Horror Philly Network, the Legion Network, iTunes, Stitcher, and wherever fine podcasts are sold. Hey, Cherish. It's 8 o'clock. Is it time to get the show on the screen or what? Do you enjoy watching films with friends? Do you like to consume vats of alcohol? It's the 40s and some bitches, baby. Yeah. Me? I like beer. If you like all that and none of those artsy-fartsy films... Does this mean we don't get to go to the Fellini Festival? Fuck the Fellini Festival? Then watch and listen to Two Drink Minimum Commentaries. Every Wednesday, myself and a rotating panel of the filthiest podcasters I can muster up give you our comments, observations, and sometimes we might actually talk about the film as we class up some of your favorite films the only way we know how, as raunchy as we can. <laughs> What's this movie, PG? Oh, yeah. This podcast sure is fucking... Not only do you get the audio, but the video that goes with it. Just listen to the shit that comes out of these filthy pirates. <laughs> you don't need to get an erection when your cock's full of rigor mortis. <laughs> fucking curb stomp a baby for a baconator right now. <laughs> I think the moral of the story is don't let Corky run Cerebro. Unforgivable. If you could stand all that, come and get your fill and your fix of Two Drink Minimum Commentaries. All the cool kids are doing it. Two Drink Minimum Commentaries is a proud member of the Legion Podcast Network. And now it's time to visit Mr. Robertson's Neighborhood to find out what Reverend Pat has to say to us today. My son is 11 and he's recently started listening to music that speaks of the beast within and the infection in people. And it's almost come to the point of me giving up trying to parent him. He's constantly mean and nasty to us and I worry for his soul. I'm not going to give up on him and I know the Lord's going to save him. But what can I do to help him become a nicer person and the sweet little boy I miss so much? Well, i tell you what you can do. Recognize he's going into puberty and he's got all those issues. I mean, I, I you know, so some psychiatrists say, oh, remember, he's got puberty issues. But it doesn't hurt to smack a little 11-year-old around a little bit and say, look, kid, I'm your parent. You behave. You're not going to listen to that garbage in my house. If you do, I'm going to tear it up and break those records. I'm not going to, or CDs or whatever. iPods, whatever. You know, yeah. iPod or however you I mean, get that mess. I mean, he's only 11, so. I know he's only 11. He's just a little twerp, and you make that little twerp behave. <laughs> he's your kid. He's just a little boy. Yes, yes. removing privileges, too, because an 11-year-old can't drive, so they can't go anywhere yeah, well, without you. you. Do. I don't know what, he, what his privilege is, but the thing, there's a lot of evil in the world, and you have to protect kids from evil, and, and, and you've got to do it any way you want to. But look, little kids, little boys, I guess you act like you're a single woman, and they'll take advantage of you because they figure, if there was a man in the House. Well, she says he's constantly mean and nasty to us, and so... Well, us. Well, then Daddy had better get in there. Little kid wouldn't do that with me, I promise you. Okay. okay. <laughs> Little kid. Our dry pods. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Big Daddy's home. <laughs> yeah, okay. Right. All right. That explains a lot.
Welcome back to Kiss the Goat. And I got to tell you, there is so much news this week, we can't even get to all of it this week. So we've had to divide things up into subjects. And this week's subject, unfortunately, is exorcism gone bad. So fast forward if you're sensitive and let the power of Christ compel you towards anger. It's time for Satan in the News. Some people don't deserve children. Some people don't deserve air. Pastors at the Congregacional Pueblo de Dios believed, for reasons unbeknownst to me, that a toddler was possessed by demons. Their attempt at exercising the boy included withholding food from him for 25 days. So, of course the kid died. And the members of this church realized they had fucked up because the day after the child passed away, they attempted a rising ceremony. A rising ceremony involves anointing a body with holy oils and praying to Jesus to restore the breath of life into the corpse. Now, I've seen something like this done before. If that tells you anything about how fucked up my life has been, it didn't work then and it didn't work for these people. After that, the child's parents and some other members of the church hightailed it back to Mexico. They've not been located yet. The church is part of the Hispanic Conference of the Congregational Holiness Church, which is based in Georgia. It's a horrible story, and it absolutely infuriates me that this practice is protected because of religious freedoms. Thankfully, murder is not. So I hope this kid's parents and the religious leaders who filled their heads full of bad ideas are brought to justice just as soon as fucking possible. Yeah, well, same for this piece of shit. This story comes to us from the Daily Mail in the UK, and it's about a Spanish priest in Spain. Um, this guy performed at least 13 exorcisms on a girl whose only crime was being anorexic. Jesus Hernandez Sahaguin, if that's how you say that, is the official exorcist of Valladolid. Valladolid? Is that how you say that? Maybe it's Valladolid. I don't know. Valladolid. That sounds way sexier. It sounds way Spanisher. Yeah. So, but seriously, how do you get that job? Official exorcist of a city. I mean, is that a public service position? Do you have to take some kind of an exam or something? He started performing exorcisms on the girl in 2012 after being contacted by her parents. Now, here's the thing. Her parents knew that she was anorexic. She was receiving medical treatment for it, and the priest had full access to her records. And the priest told them that the exorcisms would not interfere with her medical treatment. A part of the exorcism ritual had the girl tied up with a crucifix on her head. She was injured, and she eventually attempted suicide. The Catholic Church, though, absolutely denied that her suicide attempt had anything to do with the 13 exorcisms. Oh, of course not, because the Church has never done anything to hurt defenseless children. Uh-huh. Uh, Sahaguin defended himself by saying he had done over 200 exorcisms in the past four years, and nothing like that had ever happened before. Oh, well, that makes sense. So, why all these exorcisms? Let's ask the Catholic Church, shall we? 
An unnamed British priest told the newspaper The Telegraph, quote, Until a few years ago, a significant number of people in the church didn't believe in the devil, but people are now going back to the scriptures, and Pope Francis has given a certain amount of encouragement to do that. A few years ago, at least half the dioceses... Is that a diocese? Dioceses. Dioceses? <laughs> Yes. Half the Catholic people in England and Wales didn't have an exorcist. Now, pretty much all of them do. Wait, so you get assigned exorcists in the UK? Is that part of the National Hill? <laughs> I doubt it, because when you're a doctor, you have to go to school for something physical and tangible. And when you're an exorcist, you're dealing with... Fuck, I don't know what you're dealing with, but I know that keeping your parishioners alive or at least uninjured should be part of that job description. Amen to that. Well, that's it for Satan in the News. In the eternal battle between good and evil, it looks like evil is winning by pretending to be good, and that's, well, that's shitty. I'm going to go get a drink to level myself out, and we'll be back in a few with our look at Constantine. Seventy-two movies that shocked a nation and made an infamous list the video nasties. Hi, I'm Duncan McLeish and you can join me and my co-host Andy Blockley Hello, hello. as we chat about the 72 films, reviewing them all from the video nasty list live on our podcast. Tell them about it, Andy. Okay, 1982, 20,000 films were seized in London alone because they were too nasty to be watched. Come and find out why. That's right. The show's called Doing the Nasty Podcast. You can find it exclusively on the Horrorphilia Network of Podcasts. Come and check us out. I'm Steven Seagal. That's right, Steven Seagal. And for the past 40 years, in between barbecuing oxen and roasting boar for my insatiable appetite, I never miss an episode of Doctor Action and the Kick-Ass Kid commentaries. Ain't that right, Johnny? Hi, I'm Doctor Action. Hi, and I'm the Kick-Ass Kid. When I'm not watching action films, I'm usually polishing my gun while looking at a back. And when I'm not watching action films, I'm normally outside with a harpoon killing puppies. But usually, you can find us both watching 80s, 90s action films. You could follow us on Twitter, Doctor Action Kick-Ass. You can find us on our main page, which is DoctorActionKickass.blogspot.com. You can also find us on iTunes and TalkShoe. Yes, every week we do a commentary on an 80s and 90s action classic, and where we can, we also provide the film so that you can watch along with it. This podcast explodes. Hey, where's that baby mama at? I gotta tell you somebody. There are many mysteries in this world, and whether you believe or not believe, we gather to explore the strange and unexplained, where the paranormal is normal, 
and nothing tastes like chicken. We are Mysterious Boom! Exclusively on the Horophilia Network of Podcasts. Cold. Sure about this? No. Mr. Constantine, I'd like to ask you a few questions. I know the circles you travel in. The occult exorcisms. Easy there, hero. That's Dragon's Breath. I thought you couldn't get it anymore. Oh, I, uh, <clears throat> I know a guy who knows a guy. I thought that you could at least point me in the right direction. Yeah, okay, sure. Please. What if I told you that God and the devil made a wager for the souls of all mankind? No direct contact with humans, that would be the rule. Just influence, see who would win. Demons stay in hell, angels in heaven. They call it the balance. I need to see what you see. You do this, there's no turning back. You see them. They see you. Understand? returned and you've just heard the trailer for 2005's Constantine. Now, this was a movie riled in some controversy right from the get-go. First of all, when Keanu Reeves was cast as lead character John Constantine, fanboys lost their damned minds. Oh, that never happens. Right? (laughs) (laughs) Well, Constantine, as he's portrayed in the comics, is tall, blonde, and British. And Keanu, well, he's not two of those things. The comic book is about John Constantine, but it's not called Constantine. The comic is called Hellblazer, so it would make sense to call the movie Hellblazer, but that didn't happen. Producers changed the name of the movie because it was released within a few weeks of Hellboy, another movie based on a comic about somebody from hell, and they didn't want to confuse the general public. Because the general public can't tell the difference between a giant red-skinned cigar-smoking demon with his horns cut off and Keanu Reeves. Um, You know, Cootie and I don't read comics, by and large. And if you're interested in listening to a show where the hosts bitch about every piddling little difference between the comic and the movie, like they were misdiagnosed and had just gotten a second opinion, uh, you're listening to the wrong show. 
Yeah, we're going to talk about the movie and just the movie. The comics may very well be fantastic. I don't care. Nothing to do with the movie. But there is enough bad theology and Catholic guilt in the movie all by itself to power a small Mexican village. Yeah, so it makes perfect sense that the movie begins in Mexico. There's this dude just hanging out with a buddy when the wood he's standing on gives way. When he pulls his foot out, he sees something under the ground where his foot was. He reaches in and pulls out the fucking Spear of Destiny. They'll never take me alive. Like you do. Like you uh, do. <laughs> in Christian mythology, that's the weapon that was driven into the side of Christ as he was hanging on the cross. It's essentially the Western world's most famous murder weapon. Now, the spear is wrapped in a Nazi flag, which is interesting because while it's true that Hitler was searching for the spear all throughout World War II, it's not true that the Nazis ever occupied Tijuana. That's kind of a shame. Maybe they would have calmed the fuck down. Right? <laughs> We were going to invade Poland, but everything here is so nice. The tequila, it's so warm. <laughs> it's revisionist history at its best. Right here on Kiss the Goat. Yeah, the sad thing is that's my best German accent. <laughs> Meanwhile, in the city Constantine lives in, the City of Angels, lonely as he is, he still has work to do. He arrives at a small apartment where a priest, played by Pruitt Taylor Vince, has discovered a girl... Literally dancing on the ceiling. The spirit of Lionel Richie must be cast out. <laughs> so he gets a ride from his buddy Chaz. Chaz is also his de facto sidekick, and he's played by Shia LaBeouf. Uh, I'm not going to spend the whole fucking show saying LaBeouf. Well, why not? It's fun to say LaBeouf. LaBeouf. See? LaBeouf. LaBeouf. Okay, yeah, that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> Now, when we say this possessed girl has a demon in her, we really mean it. She apparently doesn't have any internal organs or muscles because you can see the creature roaming about under her skin like a fish trapped under ice. At one point, it tries to come out through her throat, but Constantine punches it back down into the girl's body. Like he's making bread. Uh, he calls for a mirror, maybe about three foot tall, and they hold that over the girl's body. So when the demon escapes, it immediately jumps into the mirror. It's mad, too. It's fucking stuck. So Constantine and the other people in the room push the mirror out the window, and it shatters all over the street. And that's when we see Lisa Blunt comes out of the front door of St. Daughter's Church in downtown L.A. Darkness covers the sky, and the anti-god is free to reign over the earth. Homeless people unite. Alice Cooper is here to lead all of you to satanic victory. The end. No, it didn't happen. No. No, not at all. It was awesome, though. That was, yeah. But what we do get is Rachel Weiss in a hospital gown. That's not bad. Not at all. She's as cute as can be until she hears her name called out by a disembodied voice. So she runs out of her room and up to the roof, takes off her wristband, and jumps. She goes through a skylight and ends up in the hospital swimming pool. Now, John's at the doctor's office, too. Uh, he's got lung cancer which is not a surprise given how he chain smokes like a madman. He's dying, and his doctor says he needs to make arrangements, but Constantine blows her off because he says he already knows where he's going, and he won't need eyes. 
you. <laughs> anyway, the dead girl in the swimming pool has a twin sister. Dead girl, Isabel. Living girl, Angela. Angela is a cop. And even though she understands that her sister jumped off that roof, she absolutely refuses to believe that Isabel would have killed herself. Meanwhile, the dude with the Spear of Destiny is slowly making his way across Mexico. They'll never take me alive. He walks through a cattle field, and the cows all die as he approaches them. It's like cow tipping, but with evil spear powers. <laughs> Which makes it badass. <laughs> so one of John's friends brings him a bag of goodies. Carton of smokes, some glass balls filled with holy water, a dragon's breath flamethrower. You know, just some stuff from Target. Yeah. Now, John tells his friend, Stephen, that the demon in the girl, the one that he tracked in the mirror, was a soldier demon trying to come over to our plane. They aren't supposed to do that. And this is where we start to get a better glimpse into John Constantine's world. Constantine and Angela show up at the same church. Now, Angela is there to see the priest, to beg him to give her sister a Catholic burial, but he can't because she was a suicide, and suicides go to hell. <laughs> that could be an alternate title for this movie. Suicides go to hell. That's one piece of dogma this movie absolutely loves. Now, Constantine isn't there to see the priest. He's there to see uh, the angel Gabriel. Big difference. Pretty hefty leap in the hierarchy. Now, Gabriel is what is referred to as a half-breed. This is an angel or demon who can walk about on the earth among humans. Half-breed angels are nice and try to help people. Half-breed demons are simply out to fuck people up. Uh, Gabriel is also really hot in an androgynous sort of way. Is Gabriel even a guy? Uh, Gabriel is played by Tilda Swinton. And Tilda has basically made a career out of playing gender-bending roles. She's like David Bowie with a vagina. I, I assume she has a vagina. You should Google that shit. Yeah, sure. Well, that's what the internet's for. Yeah, let's look at that. What'd you find? Um, she's a natural redhead. <laughs> I knew I liked her. <laughs> yeah, you know what they say. <laughs> <laughs> Copper roof makes a moist cellar. But here's the funny part. According to scripture, angels are male. All of them. That's why you never read about the angel Stacy or, you know, your guardian angel Jennifer. Um, according to Hollywood theology, though, angels are all genderless. They have no naughty bits. They're like Matt Damon and Ben Affleck and Dogma. And in real life. That's not right. Hey, I'm just saying what I heard, man. I hear things. Constantine was born being able to see the half-breeds, regardless of their gender, or lack thereof, and he thought he was crazy. So after some unsuccessful stays in the hospital, he tried to kill himself. It didn't work. So now he's alive, on Earth, stuck between heaven and hell, and he can literally see both sides. He sees the half-breeds, and he can even, under certain circumstances, take short trips to hell. Well, that's a nifty talent. Yeah. Now, Angela realizes she's going to have to deal with John when she reviews security footage from the hospital and sees that Isabel called out his name before she jumped. John is at that moment at a gas station buying some smokes, and when he goes back outside, he's attacked by one of the worst creatures you can imagine. It's a CGI bug demon. 
and it's made of locusts and flies and hissing roaches, and it's got snakes for lips. <laughs> and he really can't fight as much as he just kind of twists around and tries to keep something from flying up his nose. And they fight out in the middle of the street, and the whole demon is destroyed by a van. A fucking tall-sided Sprinter cargo van. Well, was it a Catholic van? Well, according to this movie, it would have to be. This is an intensely Catholic film. <laughs> Exercised by a cargo van. Whatever. <laughs> Whatever, man. Well, now we get to meet Papa Midnight. He's a bar owner, and he's also one of the supernatural creatures that inhabit this world. I think he's supposed to be some kind of voodoo high priest or something, but he's the only one who describes himself as neutral. His bar is kick-ass, though. Oh, yeah. Deep red leather seats, and there's something kind of kind of black exploitation, like Rudy Ray Moore to the place. Now, Constantine asks Papa Midnight if he can use the chair. And Midnight's all, no, no, you can't use the chair. That's when who would show up but a well-dressed half-breed demon named Balthazar. He's played by former 90s heartthrob and Mr. Gwen Stefani, Gavin Rosdale. You can feel the way he hates. You can hate the way he feels. I wish he'd make up his mind. (laughs) Well, Balthazar and Constantine exchange some words and John has to leave because he has a coughing fit. He wasn't going to get you, get to use the chair anyway, and to hell with actually fighting Balthazar, who we suppose just hates Constantine on principle. It's not really explained. Eh, good versus evil, something. I don't know. It's a Cathol thing. We wouldn't understand. <laughs> well, Constantine goes home, and there's a knock on the door. It's Angela. I'm a cop, and my sister didn't kill herself, and blah, 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 blah. John apparently has a bit of a reputation around the precinct for being the go-to guy for Catholic crimes and weird shit, so Angela thinks maybe he can help her out. Almost as soon as they hit the street, more demons attack. A bunch of soldier demons this time. So Constantine wraps a hanky around his hand. (laughs) It's probably a section of the Shroud of Turin. (laughs) (laughs) And he lights it on fire, and all the demons dissipate in the holy light. Amen. These demons are getting brave, and Constantine is concerned. However, he decides to do the pretty lady a quick favor before investigating why the bad guys are getting so aggressive. They go back to her place, and you think there's going to be some kind of weird sex thing going on. Well, yeah, especially when she brings out the Dutch oven. Yeah, but it's not that kind of Dutch oven. (laughs) No, it's a real one, like a big fucking metal... roasting pan it's filled with water and constantine sits down and dunks his feet in it shoes and all now angela's taking care of isabel's cat and john realizes the cat will be a connection to her so he uses it as a familiar which really is not standard behavior for a catholic exorcist Mm. but he puts the cat on his lap and he stares lovingly into its eyes and that's the only pussy he gets at the whole flick yeah poor guy But the water around his feet begins to boil, and time seems to slow down. The next thing you know, Constantine is in hell. He can walk in both worlds. And I guess those wet shoes keep him from burning his feet. (laughs) Well, it should be no surprise that hell is in California. 
The whole hellscape looks like a nuclear bomb just went off. There are burning buildings, abandoned cars, and demons lurking about like jackals. But Constantine finds Isabel wandering along the side of Hell's Interstate. Her hospital band, her wristband rather, from the hospital flies by in the hot wind and Constantine plucks it from the air. And then the demons start to attack, so Constantine comes out of it, leaving Hell, and he shows Angela Isabel's wristband because he's pulled it back out with him. Now this is important because it's proof that she did actually kill herself. And suicides go to Hell. Father Crazy Eyes, the one who was there when Constantine exercised the girl at the beginning of the movie. Oh, you mean when he did an exorcism and managed not to kill the girl? Amazing! Right? He finds Isabel's corpse in the hospital. It's got this weird mark on the arm. He recognizes it, and he feels the immediate desperate urge uh, to get drunk. Some of those fear drugs, you know, like, oh, shit, I just found my ex's picture on Facebook, and I totally wasn't expecting that, so wine, please. I can relate. So he wanders into the same liquor store that Balthazar is in. He's so dreamy. He should fly to Los Angeles and find his asshole brother. But he's already in Los Angeles. Well, then everything's zen, isn't it? Hey. <laughs> so Balthazar is a dick. And every time Father Drinky tries to open a bottle, no liquid will pour out. Even when he breaks them, he can't get the liquid to go into his mouth. That's really a shitty way to use your magic powers, man. Father Drinky collapses on the floor, but he's prescient enough to grab a corkscrew off the counter and carve that mark that he saw on Isabel's corpse into his own palm. That way he knows Constantine will find it. We already talked about Constantine's suicide attempt and how it failed. So now, heaven doesn't want him, and hell, literally, is afraid he'll take over. But it's important to mention that Constantine is trying to earn his way back into heaven by killing as many demonic half-breeds as he can. Now, this explains the veritable ectoplasmic murder spree that encompasses the third act of the movie. But there's still a lot of wonky detective work to come. Uh, while in the hospital room that Isabel stayed in before her suicide, you know, before she went to hell, John and Angela have this argument, and he starts talking about twin power, like it's fucking Zan and Jaina, and how twins know things about each other that no one else can know. So he wants to know, how do they communicate with each other? Well, it's not anything psychic, but they used to leave messages for each other on windows so that when they breathed on the glass, they would be able to see the words in the condensation. Just like the bathroom murder in Deep Red. Right. So Angela breathes on the window, and there's a whole shit ton of characters that look like a different language, something cryptic on the window. And my question is, this woman's been dead for at least a week. Is no one going to clean this fucking room? <laughs> Seriously, it's not the crime scene. The pool is the crime scene. This hospital is fucking nasty. <laughs> Constant, Constantine recognizes some of the words because, of course, he does. And he gets in touch with his buddy, Stephen. Stephen, who lives in a bowling alley. Um, now, the message refers to the 21st chapter of Corinthians. But there's only 16 chapters in Corinthians. There are 16 chapters in 1 Corinthians. There are also two separate books in the Bible that were letters to the believer in Corinth. So Christians are familiar with 1st and 2nd Corinthians. But none of that matters in this movie because the 21st chapter of Corinthians 
only exists in copies of the Bible found in hell. They've got the Bible in hell. Sort of makes sense. I mean, you know, they're mentioned here and there. So they just leave it in waiting rooms and such? Hotel nightstand drawers? <laughs> if you're in hell and you have to go to the dentist, you can read the Bible while you're waiting for that. Oh, that's um, really... Right. So Stephen just happens to have a copy of that hell Bible, and he looks up the scripture. Now, somehow he learns that that passage is about mammon. Mammon is the son of Lucifer. I thought mammon meant money or wealth. Nope. You and thousands of biblical scholars are completely wrong. <laughs> mammon is a hideous demon who wants to take over the earth, but he can only do so if A, he can possess the body of a psychic, and B, he has the help of God to achieve his evil ends. Well, that's pretty fucking specific. That's one word for it. Anyway, say goodbye to Stephen, because bugs come out crawling from his face, and before Constantine and Angela can get to him, he's being eaten by CGI insects. Well, it's a shame he wasn't near a cargo van. Right? <laughs> Meanwhile, in Mexico, the guy with the Spear of Destiny steals a car and begins making his way towards the States. They'll never take me alive. Because, you know, America is the entire world, so why not start a demonic takeover of the world there? Couldn't do it in Paraguay. Nobody'd notice. Um, Angela, in a desperate attempt to be cool, says she used to see things when she was a kid, too. Sure you did. However, she was witness to all the shit Isabel went through, having to take antipsychotics and taking repeated trips to the hospital. So finally, she denied it and then she just stopped seeing things she grew out of it but now she wants to see what isabel saw so she wants constantine to send her to hell just for a second just for a second just, just, just to see <laughs> so john runs her a bath which we knew that was coming because of the whole foot soaking thing from earlier but he tells her to get all the way in he says that water is the universal conduit Unless you're in a part of the universe where there is no water, but that's not important right now. He also says that water lubricates the transition. Mm. He's obviously <laughs> never tried fucking in a hot tub. And he says she has to be fully submerged in the water for as long as the journey takes. <laughs> so this very Catholic movie ends up promoting full immersion. This movie is a theological clusterfuck. So Constantine holds her down in the tub, and she starts to freak out because she thinks she's drowning. Well, she is drowning. Yes, but she's also in hell, so it worked. Now, we don't get to see what she sees, but she comes up out of the water steaming, and then the tub explodes. And tubs are expensive, you bitch! And nobody cleans up that mess. I mean, this whole movie is just cluttered and could use a good wiping down. Now, Angela goes back to where Stephen was eaten by bugs and finds a small medallion in a grate on the floor. She begins rolling it back and forth on her knuckles, which is a really nice parlor trick, but it's also something we've seen Balthazar do. All his mental armor drags me down. I can't breathe when he comes around. Constantine then proceeds to put together the holy shotgun, and no, I'm not kidding, it's made out of gold. It shoots gold shells, and the barrel has a crossbar on it to make it look like a crucifix. 
So with that mighty weapon, he goes after Balthazar. Hits him first with holy water, then blasts the hell out of him. Now, Constantine just wants to know how Mammon is trying to break through into this physical plane. And he threatens Balthazar by giving him the last rites. So, apparently, you know, the last place a demon wants to go is heaven, and the last riots are a one-way ticket to the pearly gates. So, Balthazar freaks out and starts spilling his guts, saying something about whoever kills the Son of God will give birth to the devil. Which really is a great tagline for a movie that isn't Constantine. (laughs) And then Constantine says... By the way... You have to ask for absolution to be forgiven. Ugh. Asshole. Aha! Got you, dumbass. Uh, and then the demons come up and eat them, and that's it for that. As they're leaving, something grabs Angela and pulls her through the entire building sideways. Like, through cubicles and walls and restrooms, what have you. It's like she got punched by Mr. Incredible at the insurance company. So, back to Papa Midnight's goes John Constantine, again insisting on using the chair. And Midnight's all, I'm neutral, I'm neutral, and Constantine's all, fuck your neutral, and I want the chair. (laughs) Well, the chair actually is the chair. It's an old electric chair from Sing Sing. John sits in the chair, and Midnight, finally relenting, pours water on the floor. And then he breaks the bulb out of a floor lamp and sends an electric charge running through the water into John. Now, instead of going to hell, this makes him psychic, I guess because of the chair. Um, But he can see the guy with the Spear of Destiny driving into the city towards the hospital. They'll never take me alive. He can also see everyone turning into a demon. This, of course, makes no sense, but I guess what's happening is that the soldier demons are coming through and creating kind of a possessed, silly army to protect Mammon. Well, Chaz and Constantine start gearing up. Chaz melts down some golden icons and turns them into shells for the holy shotgun. Angela, who has apparently been flying around town for a couple of hours, finally lands in the hospital swimming pool. Do hospitals even have swimming pools? I don't know, but this one does. And there's someone in the pool with her. It's Spear of Destiny guy. (laughs) Now, she tries to shoot him, but it does no good. They'll never take me alive. Marco Polo. Uh... (laughs) When Constantine and Chaz arrive at the hospital, the first thing Chaz does is drop a giant crucifix into the water supply, which thereby turns all of the water in the hospital into holy water. So Constantine wipes out a majority of the demons, all waiting at the hospital for Mammon to show up, by flicking his lighter under the sprinklers, because it's all holy water. (sighs) Now, hang on. Doesn't holy water require an actual blessing from a clergyman? Maybe a pinch of salt for purification? Something? No. Once again, you and all of the religious scholars are wrong, and this movie is right. As long as it's in the shape of a cross, you can do anything with it, and Jesus will accept it. Anyway, uh, Destiny Guy sends Angela to hell because they're in the pool and it's water and it's lubricating her or something. I don't know. 
I don't know why anyone would ever want to swim again after watching this movie. But while she's in hell, she meets Mammon, and he's a really ugly son of a bitch. So Constantine finds Destiny Boy in the pool, but Angela pops up behind him, and now she is thoroughly possessed by Mammon. Her eyes are a different color, and her complexion's gone off, kind of like she's been eating too much fast food. Uh, <laughs> so Constantine grabs her around the neck and begins praying. I think it's the Nomini Patri, some Cathol prayer, but it irritates the living shit out of Mammon. He's all growly and just angry, but Chaz helps Constantine get her out of the pool. So they keep praying, and it's very much a power of Christ compels you moment, and Angela, for a minute, seems better. Then an unseen force slams Chaz into the floor and into the ceiling and back into the floor. You know, you get the picture. But anyway, that's all for Shia LaBeouf. 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 Well, if Constantine wasn't pissed before, he sure as shit is now. And he rolls up his sleeves and he presses his forearms together. Now, he's got half tattoos on each arm. So he shoves them together to kind of make one good one. <laughs> and now the tattoo looks like the symbol for the Order of the Golden Dawn or something equally as Crowley-esque. But why would the OTO suddenly show up in this bloody mess? I, I have no idea. And then Gabriel shows up. Oh, goody. It turns out Gabriel is the one behind the whole free mammon plan, because as an angel, he's tired of man getting all the attention. He wants to bring hell to earth so that anyone who survives will actually be deserving of the redemption they receive. Kind of a survival of the piousest, which isn't a word, but what does that matter now? So Constantine does the best thing he can think of. He picks up some broken glass from the floor. And he slashes his wrists. It's another suicide. And Lucifer himself shows up to gather John up and take him to hell. And this is probably a terrible thing to say, but Lucifer in this movie is awesome. Fuck yes. <laughs> it's Peter Stormare in a white linen suit. And he's all sniffy and licky. And he's just <laughs> so happy to be evil he's like a puppy yes. he's like a big devil puppy so when lucifer shows up gabriel is just about to carve mammon out of angela's stomach with the spear of destiny i don't know why the demon from hell can't just rip a human apart but apparently this little guy needs a c-section um lucifer's arrival also causes time to stand still so all Lucifer has to do is move Angela out of the way. Ha <laughs> um, Lucifer, of course, wants the Spear of Destiny. And he also knows that it's not time for a mammon to take over yet. And he needs to go back to hell to, fuck, I don't know, improve his math skills, learn a trade, something. He's, he's just not ready. Well, Gabriel is really mad at Lucifer for ruining his plans, and he tries to fight him. And then the unthinkable happens, and God actually shows up. Sort of. Well, yeah, right, sort of. You don't actually get to see God, but Gabriel's wings burst into flame, and he becomes human. So it's funny how in a whole movie about religion, we get to see the hand of God for about three seconds, 
and he uses it to set something on fire. Don't stand there, Gorpin! Oh, you've never seen the Undergod before! Lucifer, he's feeling kind of grateful, asks Constantine if he wants an extension on his life, and Constantine offers a trade instead. He'll go ahead, and he'll go to hell, if Lucifer will let Isabel go to heaven. Quid pro quo, Clarice. Lucifer thinks that's a fine idea, but when it comes time to literally drag Constantine to hell, Lucifer can't move him. And welcome to the loophole. Since Constantine performed an act of self-sacrifice by trading himself for Isabel, he gets to go to heaven. So as he's rising towards the clouds, giving Lucifer the finger over his shoulder, (laughs) Lucifer grabs him shoves his arms up into John's chest and pulls him back down. Now, when he pulls his arms out of his chest, they're covered with black goo. Lucifer has healed his lung cancer and stopped his bleeding. You can't go to heaven if you're not dead. Lucifer says he wants Constantine to live, basically so that he can fuck up again and prove that his soul truly belongs in hell. Whatever. I don't get it either. So at this point, Gabriel, you know, the angel with the stumpy, burnt-off wings, asks Constantine if he wants revenge. Tries to get Constantine to shoot him, and John doesn't do it, but he does hit Gabriel in the mouth, saying, That's called pain. Get used to it. Angela gets to keep the Spear of Destiny as some kind of fucked-up souvenir. Uh, It's her job now to protect it. So Angela and Constantine, they don't kiss, they don't fuck. She just walks away with her Spear of Destiny, and that's it. Except for the post-credits scene, Uh, where Constantine goes to Chaz's grave. (laughs) He leaves his lighter on it, because John has stopped smoking now. As Constantine walks away, we see Chaz standing behind his own gravestone with a giant pair of angel (laughs) wings. And he grabs the lighter and flies off to heaven. Do people really turn into angels when they die? No. No. It doesn't say that anywhere in the Bible, whether it's the Catholic one or the special edition you can only find in hell. (laughs) It's silly. (laughs) You are welcome to roll your eyes all you want at that garbage. Oh, my God. Hey, you know what? That's going to do it for Constantine. And we'll be back after a moment for three questions and the rest of the show. Looking for something different in your podcast library? Then why not check out the podcast Under the Stairs? I'm the host, Duncan McLeish, and joining me each week will be a special guest as we examine some classic, old-school horror favourites, as well as some modern classics. That's not to say that we don't tackle some of the, let's say, more questionable entries into the horror genre. And if all that wasn't enough, we have a subset of shows called Baz V Horror, where our horror novice, The Baz, tackles horror in all shapes and forms to see who will come out victorious. So what are you waiting for? The show can be found at podcastunderthestairs.wordpress.com and on Stitcher and iTunes. The podcast Under the Stairs is a proud member of Legion Podcast Network. This is Duncan McLeish from Under the Stairs, signing off. Howdy, folks. Got blood 
that you come to the right place. My name is Gary and I'm your guide to Cinema Beef Podcast. Every episode we not only deliver film reviews, we also dismantle some of your favorite and most hated films. Sometimes for the better and sometimes for the worse. Hey, 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 you shut your face! If we want to hear you talk, I will shove my arm up your ass and work your mouth like a puppet! Alright, calm down, calm down. Every show I hope to have a new co-host, podcasters, listeners alike. That's right, I'm talking to you people. I take all comers. That's not very nice. The only rules, well, let's ask the best cooler in the business. All you have to do is follow three simple rules. One, never underestimate your opponent. Expect the unexpected. Two, take it outside. Never start anything inside the bar unless it's absolutely necessary. Three, be nice. So join the insanity and please vent your frustrations. I'm available on TalkShoe, iTunes, and Stitcher Smart Radio. Remember, here at the Sun Beef Podcast, if you got beef, I've got the grinder. Welcome back to Kiss the Goats. It's time to put Constantine under the microscope with America's favorite game that involves three questions. Three questions! Three questions! Stop! Who would crush the bridge of death must answer me these questions three? And the other side, you see. <laughs> so, question number one. Is Constantine truly a devil movie? Um, No. No, I don't think it is. I think it's. I think this movie is what would happen if um, a. This is, this is Catholic uh, Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> it's more like a devil's son movie because Mammon is the devil's son, right? Trying to break through. And we do get to see Lucifer in this movie, so that's yeah. a pl- that's a plus. Yeah. But he doesn't show up until you know the last part of the third act. It's a shame because he was so badass. So good. Um, Yeah, so I don't know. It's just there's a lot of talk about the devil in it, and I don't know. I guess he does finally show. Maybe it is a devil movie. It's more of a devil movie than some of the shit we've covered before. Mm Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I say if the devil shows up in body there in the movie, it's a devil movie. Okay. Yeah, I'll go with I'll go with that. So then, yes, I recant. <laughs> it, it was heresy, and I do recant. Constantine is a devil movie. Ever, ever heard those words out of your mouth? That's <laughs> <laughs> what you changed? You had a good argument. I had to agree. Like like any good hypocrite should, I am able to change my mind. You're here. Question number two. On a scale of one to six, how many horns high do you give Constantine? I actually really liked this movie. Um, It's not like way up there in my ranking, but I've seen it three or four times, I think, and I've enjoyed it every time I saw it. So I would give it a solid three. I'm going to go three. I'll go three on that. It's it's a solid action movie, if nothing else. Yeah. Um, CGI is fucking terrible. Yeah, and I've I, seen worse though. Well, yeah, that's true. The good thing about the movie is it's so dark and grimy that 
sometimes it's hard to tell if it's CGI or not because mm. you can't really tell what's going on on screen. But um, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll give it a three. Yeah, and you know, like you said earlier, we we don't really read comics. I mean, the sincerely, the only comic I have ever read, start to finish, was The Invisibles, and that's just because you handed it to me and said you'd need this in your life, mm-hmm. and you were absolutely right. So, um, again, no idea how it stacks up to the comics. If if I'd read them and you know was a big fan, I, I may have a dog in that fight, but I don't. But just standing alone, just as a movie, I thought it was it was a pretty good film. Yep. I'll go with that. All right. So finally, why should our listeners watch Constantine or should they? Again, it's a, it's a decent action movie. Peter Stormaraway. Fuck. Stormaraway. That guy. Yeah, that guy, you know, Fargo dude, he's, he's in it and he's a great Lucifer. Um, Tilda Swinton is really good as Gabriel. I mean, everybody's, pretty good in it except for you know Shia LaBeouf. LaBeouf. Um so yeah, I mean I'd watch it. It's solid. It's silly and horrible theology, but it's 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 a fun watch. Yeah, I'd recommend it. I mean, I don't know. Can you drink holy water? I guess that depends on what you consider to be holy. I mean, they use wine in religious ceremonies. Jesus turned water into wine at the wedding in Cana. Maybe wine could be holy water. So then that that must carry over to other alcoholic beverages, mustn't it? It mustn't. So why don't you grab a few bottles of whatever you consider to be holy water and play along with us? If you make the conscious choice to watch Constantine, we can help. Yep. It's time for America's favorite game of animal husbandry, Drinking with the Devil, where your love for movies mutually disdain for your own liver. Drink whatever you try to remember where you've seen the woman who plays Angela before. <laughs> Drink whenever you hear the term half-breed. <laughs> Drink whenever you look at Shia LeBeouf and think, what an asshole. Oh my God, that's a lot. <laughs> Drink whenever Keanu Reeves looks pissed off. Jesus, that's, that's the whole movie. He's, he is a dour man. <laughs> Finally, our Grandmaster Challenge. Drink whenever you see something computer generated that isn't Keanu Reeves. Ooh. Well, for crying out loud, please understand that we here at Kiss the Goat do not condone underage drinking or alcohol abuse. However, they've always worked worked for for us. And now it's time for us to answer your questions to us, which is a pretty damn cool thing for us to do, if you ask us. And you did ask us, because it's time for Ask the Goat. I'll send you a love letter. Straight from my heart, fucker! You know what a love letter is? It's a bullet from a fucking gun, fucker! You receive a love letter from me, you're fucked forever! As Cootie rummages about in the malevolent mailbag... Rummage, rummage, rummage. Let me remind you that you can always ask us a question at our Facebook group page, which is facebook.com slash groups slash kiss the goat. Join us. Be one of us. There are some really cool people who hang out over there, but you won't know until you give it a try. And if we haven't convinced you to join our group, 
then maybe you should just send us a message at our evil email address, which is thegoatofmadness at gmail.com. Cootie, who is our first question sender today? Well, that's going to be Mr. Mark Schofield, who writes quite poignantly. poignantly. Uh Uh-huh. Mark says, I fucking love Keanu. Here's my question. Why doesn't anyone give him a fair shake? Answer that. Because he never really got rid of the whole Bill and Ted image? Dude, I am an unrepentant Keanu Reeves fan. Fucking love the man. Love him and everything I've seen him in. And this is no exception. So why doesn't he get a fair shake? Because people are assholes. All right, then. their asses. I don't know. Okay, well. I don't know why. Yeah, probably probably because of the whole Bill and Ted thing. Um, you know, because he it started out playing a little fucking stoner dude that was just kind of dumb and had a really happy-go-lucky look on, look on life, which is part of the reason why I love him. Other than, you know, he grew up to be a pretty sexy man. But um, that's beside the point. Right, right. All right, then. There you go. There's the fair shaking um bill and ted yeah yep. uh sin fallon has sent in a fair question since your state legislatures decided to make the bible the official state book Ugh. how do we get kiss the goat to be the official state podcast yeah a little explanation to those of our listeners who may not know tennessee did present a bill to make the bible our state book Thankfully, that didn't pass because that's unconstitutional as fuck, (laughs) and it never should have gone as far as it did. But it did because we are a delightfully dense notch on the Bible Belt. So they tried that. Didn't work. The real question is this. How do we get Kiss the Goat to be the official podcast of the state of Tennessee? Who do we have to call? What do we have to do? We need an online petition. <laughs> Dude, an online petition. That seems like the best thing ever. How can we do change.org? Yeah, yeah. Dude, change.org. Okay. Um, one of you, I don't care who it is, somebody in the listening audience, draft a petition at change.org to get Kiss the Goat to be the official <laughs> podcast of the state of Tennessee, and let's see how many signatures we can get. And we will pimp the shit out of that. I will stand outside of the fucking sun sphere and advertise that guy. That so will be, be great. We totally need to do that. Let's get this going. I want to see this happen. I want hashtags. <laughs> I want pictures of you standing on the street corners, handing out petitions. That's, flying around Twitter. That's Let's right. Do Let's do this. Somebody do this. Make this happen. All right. Well, next question. In reference to Constantine, George Negret says, only one of my friends likes this movie. I might need new friends. Huh. I don't know that this is necessarily a make or break of friendships there, George. But um, I... at least have a little general discussion with them. Yeah, I mean, maybe, pick their brains. Maybe not a deal breaker, but find out what else they like and don't like. And if if you know if the con starts to outweigh the pro, then maybe it's time to thin the herd. Jog on, dude. 
Lisa Ann Carrillo wants to know what our favorite Keanu Reeves movie is. I'm assuming we can have different favorite Keanu Reeves movies. I mean, we don't have to agree on everything. Oh. Um. Jesus, I really love Bill and Ted. Um, because that whole be excellent to each other philosophy of that film is like at the core of, I mean, if I have morals, that's like a foundation for my personal set of morals. Yeah. Just, you know, fucking chill, be excellent to each other guys. Um, but I really love Johnny Mnemonic. So it's kind of a, I don't know, kind of a toss up there between those two for me. I also love Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Bogus Journey, not so much, but it's still good. Um, But, you know, right below that is Man of Tai Chi, which is a movie that Keanu actually directed and stars in as the bad guy. And it's fucking great. I actually haven't seen that. It's so... You're lacking. You failed me. I'm so... I'm so... (laughs) (laughs) Okay, yeah. That's totally my responsibility. Um, <laughs> it's on the it's on the Netflix. So if you haven't seen Man of Tai Chi, check that shit out. That's great. Okay, cool. Well, next, Chuck Knight has fired off a barrage of questions, rapid fire even, which we will do our best to answer as quickly as possible. Are you ready, X? Let's do it. What does baffled mean? Soundproof of baffles. Next question. Why can't I have my cake and eat it too? Anal Fishers. Next. Who? Tom Atkins. Next. What? Cost salad. Next. When? Next Thursday. Next. Where? Scotland. Finally. How? With lots of lube. <laughs> there you go. That was fun. That was our first lightning round. <laughs> yeah, that was all right. Well, this next question is aimed towards you, X. Oh, goody. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, fun. It's, it's from one of our longtime friends, Mr. Joe Nance. He says this. There are some of our group who suspect you, X, might be a pro wrestling aficionado. What? Ah. Me? <laughs> Rather than ask you about the well-known variant of televised touring pro wrestling... I want to hear what you think about Chikara. <laughs> Chikara is... I'm trying to think of, of the best way to describe Chikara. You ever go to like a, a show, like a concert, and you're there to see the, the, the big band, but there's like eight opening bands, and the first band that you see is like a bunch of kids from the high school who've been together for maybe two weeks and like their uncle who's a dentist booked them their first gig and they're terrible, but you think maybe they might be okay one day. That's Chikara. It is <laughs> it is so far below every other fed that I watch, but you kind of have to love them because they love it. They love what they're doing and they mean well, but somebody always just ends up with just fucking up, and it's just terrible. <laughs> it's like somebody will forget. It doesn't even have to be the wrestler. Somebody will forget to fucking tighten the ropes. I mean, it's just god-awful. But they're trying, so you have to love them. But if, if we're going to go in order of my favorite 
no federations, I guess we would go. We would at the bottom would be Chikara, and then above that would be Combat Zone Wrestling (CZW), and then New Japan, and then WWE main roster, and then WWE NXT. So NXT oh. is at the top of all of that. That's the shit right there. But um, <clears throat> I can attest to this because he gets just all kinds of wood when he's watching NXT. <laughs> I do. I mean, testosterone flowing, guys. So anyway, that's it. But thank uh-huh. you. Thank you for even bringing up Chikara because now I have to go and watch some old Chikara videos. That shit's great. Sounds fun. Oh, my God. It's like watching children drunk. Just drunk kids stumbling around, walking into walls and shit. It's just wonderful. I've seen that. Yeah, that's fun. So, right before we came into record, we got a message from Lori Scarborough. She's been listening. Lori. She's listened for a long time. She really likes Constantine. She really, really likes Constantine. And she had some very specific Constantine-related questions. And we figured, well, hell, I mean, maybe... Maybe there are a lot of people who also really, really like Constantine. And theology. So let's get deep. You ready? Sweet. All right. When Angela goes to see the priest at the very beginning and she asks him if she is damned, he tells her that God has a plan for her, has a plan for us all, and not to let her guilt overshadow her faith. Do you think the priests are there to more or less soothe the conscience and make the ugliness of life more palatable? Or do you think they're sincere in what they tell people in those kinds of situations? Well, I think it depends on the priest. Yeah, me too. I think they're just like people, you know? They just... They, well, they the are priesthood. people. <laughs> well, I mean, just like <laughs> us, you know? Their, the the priesthood is their life. It's their their job, basically. I think they struggle with the same kinds of questions and doubts and fears that we we do. Um, but they put on that priestly face, if you will, and it depends on the type of person they are as to as to how they quote guide their flock. Well, and that's and that's where I was going to head is the whole guiding of the flock thing because when you are a priest. You have to pastor your people. You got to take care of the spiritual needs of the people who attend your church. So you can't just come right out and say, uh, "God is dead. Fuck this. This is bullshit." <laughs> and, Unless you're in one of Vegas' stories. Exactly. So, I'm living a lie. You know, you can't. You can't do that because you're going to destroy another person. Mm-hmm. So I think there. Are, I think there are certain things that are said almost by rote. You know, automatically. Right. But whether the priest themselves believes that or not is a completely different story, and we'll never know that. That's The human heart is deep and dark. Unless you just happen to be lucky enough to be close enough with someone in that position that they are able and comfortable to speak with you freely. And that would be a really unique thing, and that's something mm-hmm. I would like to experience personally. Yeah, same here. <clears throat> well... Lori's next question is, if you had an identical twin who died before you, do you think it would be extremely creepy to see their dead body, given that you would kind of be seeing how you would look if you were dead? As in, do you think it would be even more disturbing in that situation than it would be if it were just a normal sibling? That 
is a really fucked up question. Um, that would fuck me up hardcore. Dead bodies in general kind of fuck me up hardcore. <laughs> but... Which is why you write about them rather than, say, I don't know, embalm them? <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not like a funeral groupie. You know, I don't try to fucking fake my way into other people's fu- the funerals of strangers. You know, <laughs> uh, we used to work together. Let me see. Um, God. That's so weird. That's horrible. Um, yeah, I think it would probably be a little bit worse. You know, mm. most because I'd be looking at that twin going, Jesus Christ, do I look like that? <laughs> yeah. My yeah, eye, I do. Are my eyes that close together? Fuck. So, it'd be weird. Yeah. Totally. Not, not only the whole dead thing, but the whole, like, mirror thing. Just like, God damn. So. Yeah, that's just a unique situation in general. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm not even sure how I'd cope with that. Yeah. Something, thankfully, I'll never have to face unless somebody has something to tell me. Hallelujah. Yeah. Mom, anything I um. should know? <laughs> <laughs> okay, next. <clears throat> if the Spear of Destiny went missing at the end of World War II and the guy who found it ends up knocking off all kinds of livestock while he's on his little walkabout, how do you suppose the Spear of Destiny ended up buried in Mexico without it drawing anyone's attention? Also, if the Spear of Destiny still exists, where do you imagine it might be? I see we kind of talked about this, because there's no fucking way that the Spear of Destiny should ever end up in Mexico. Well, I could see it ending up in South America somewhere, because there yes. were actually a lot of Nazis that fled Germany and wound up in South America to hide. So that I could get, but this guy definitely was not that far south. I mean, he just fucking jumped the fence and came over into America. So he was in Mexico. Yeah, I mean, it seems like he was in TJ, and just there it was. And I I highly doubt that there was a group of Nazis, including one guy who had the goddamn Spear of Destiny, and just got ripped on tequila and hookers one night. Buried it under the floor. And decided to stash it under the boardwalk or whatever. (laughs) Um, Also, it was nice it was wrapped in a Nazi flag. That's not, you know, (laughs) noticeable at all. Well, I mean, it it gives, I guess, a little plausibility because of the whole connection with Hitler seeking for it so hard during World War II. A little, tiny, itty-bitty plausibility. If it was going to get to Mexico... From the fucking Middle East, it would have had to have been with the Nazis. That's the only plausibility. Yes. Um, so where do you think the Spear of Destiny might be? If it still exists? Mm-hmm. Uh, fuck, it's probably in Jordan. Buried under, you know, hundreds of years of rubble. Yeah, lots of sand. Mm-hmm. I, think, I, I think it's being examined by top men. Oh, do you? Yeah. Top like, men. Top men. <laughs> That's what I think. All right. Well, then Lori asks, during the movie, how many times, if any, do you feel the uncontrollable urge to throat punch Chaz slash Shia LaBeouf? LaBeouf. Constantly, always, every time I see him, I just want to. Really? 
Yes, I, really? You know, I didn't think he was that obnoxious of a character until he <sighs> turned into a fucking angel. And then I was like, that's bullshit. <laughs> but up until that point, I mean, I thought the way that Constantine treated him was more obnoxious than the way he was behaving. No, I thought that was an extremely obnoxious character. I'm a tough guy. Tough guy. Mm. Just. Well, he came in fucking handy in the end, didn't he? Well, yeah. Yeah, there was a couple of times he saved John's ass. Yes, that's that's true. But he was still like the little dog that hangs around the bulldog in the old Looney Tunes cartoons. Oh, yeah, that's true, too. What are you going to do today, Spike? What are you going to do today, Spike? Want to chase cats? Want to chase cats? Nah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. You just summed up Constantine in a four-minute cartoon. <laughs> well done. Well done, sir. That's exactly dead on. How fucking funny. And the last Constantine query from Lori. One of the main things that makes a story is whether or not it's believable. <laughs> Okay, we should probably just call this question off right now. Um, the movie depicts hell as kind of an anti-Earth or shadow world, complete with fire and dry heat. Do you think that if hell is a real place, that's how it would be? If not, what do you think it would be like? I have what I think it should be like. I mean, seriously, if you're going to create hell... Not everyone is going to be terrified by the same things because we're all individual, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that hell ideally should be individualized. And I mean, if we're talking purely hypotheticals here, you could have each individual experience their own hell over and over again for eternity. And that would just be that would be the ultimate in terror, if you ask me. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, okay, hell's hot, okay, yeah, we're all being ripped apart by demons, we're all screaming forever, okay, but, you know, to to relive the the most horrific moments in your life, the, the lowest points in your life, the, the worst things that you can imagine even in your life over and over and fucking over again, that would be a, a true hell. I think, I think that, um, I think some people are already in hell and I don't think that they'll ever get out of it. Um, and I think they keep themselves there. But I think if we're going to look at kind of a classical hell as its own place, its own entity, um, hell is Las Vegas. <laughs> it is hot. There is dry heat. Um, you know, there are places to go where you can lose your money, your soul, your, your house, your dignity. It's all right there in Vegas. You know, some people, for some people, hell would be sitting in a slot machine and never winning. And you just keep losing everything over and over and over again. You know, <clears throat> so yeah. So for me, hell would be Las Vegas. Well, there you go, boys and girls. A glimpse into X's soul. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that was fun. <laughs> it always is. <laughs> 
And it's going to wind up Ask the Goat, and that effectively ends this episode of the show. Okay, but I want to do something really quick, because I end up being on a lot of other shows, and I want to talk them up really quick, because I never do on this show, and that's shitty of me. Um, I get to work with a lot of cool people. Well, fuck. Take it away, Chocho San. You can also find me on the Six and a Half Feet Under podcast, which is my own podcast, and that's I get a lot of interesting guests on there. Um, I co-host the Cinema Beef podcast with Gary Hill. I am on the Not-So-Evil episode sidecast with Mike Merriman, Doug Tilly, and Ira Saravia. Sometimes I'm on the Two Drink Minimum commentaries, sometimes I'm not, but I will always let you know where you can find me and where you can read my articles, uh, which is Pop Shifter, and where you can buy my fiction, which is on Amazon, over at my own website, jeffreyxmartin.com. But my main podcast is Always Kiss the Goat, because this is my baby, and that is the extent of that. And your favorite co-host. Well, without a doubt, baby. <laughs> also, guys, don't forget to visit our website at kissthegoat.weebly.com, where you can listen to ep- episodes and check out the amazing swag in our store. There's all kinds of good shit in there. Thanks to Jason at Horrorphilia for keeping the show on the air. Is it on the air thanks. if it's on the internet? What is that? Yes, that's air. Is that air? Sort of. Okay. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's cables and wires and it's tubes, a series of tubes it's a series of tubes <laughs> <laughs> but also thanks to all of you our dear listeners for keeping the air on our show I don't even know what that is yeah, I don't either but for the moment it seems cool it really did so that's going to do it for the goat kissing this time around. <laughs> this circle is open and you are free to do what you need to do. Seriously, they go pee, get a beer, something. Until next time, my name is X. And I'm Cootie. Hail Satan. When that first Bush album came out, I was pretty sure Gavin Rossdale was gay. Turns out he's bi, and that's, you know, whatever. But so when Everything Zen came out, I'd always put a comma in between the words asshole and brother. <laughs> You're a dirty bugger. I am. My name is X. And I'm Cootie. And this, and this is. God, fuck, shit. Sorry. Let's try that again. <laughs> What the fuck would I even... I know how this works. We've created I don't know, a f- but we said it in unison, so that's... I, we should have just kept going. Yeah, right? This is the entire show in unison. We'll just... Every line, just... Da, da, da. <clears throat> Alright, five, four, three... This is also his de facto sidekick, and he's played by Sh- Shia Todd. How do you say that guy's name? Shia. Shia LaBeouf. Shia LaBeouf. What the fuck kind of name is Shia LaBeouf? That's why we make fun of it the whole episode. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Let me try that again. Yep. 
five, four, three. It's a shame he wasn't near a cargo van. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> Meanwhile, in Mexico, the guy with the Spear of Destiny steals a car and begins ma- begins making his way towards the States. Because, you know, America is the entire world, so why not start a demonic takeover of the world there? Right. Yeah, let me try that again. Okay. And this is probably a terrible thing to say, but Lucifer in this movie is awesome. Fuck yes. It's Peter Stormar in a oh, white linen. Sorry, Stormare. Stormare. Okay. Stormare. Stormare. Yes. Stormare. Okay. Okay. You ready to do this thing? Let's do that thing. Let's do this thing. This is episode 22, isn't it? I think it's what you wrote in the script. Well, yeah, I know. Just making sure I'm not wrong. It'd be funny if I just spent the next 12 episodes. This is episode 22. Right. <laughs> just kept doing it. <laughs> See how long it would take for people to catch on. Yeah. Oh, yes, this is episode 22. Okay. <laughs> It'd be Duncan, too. Oh, action. <laughs> I think he got your numbers wrong. <sighs> All right. Oh, let me drink a coffee. Fuck, this is good coffee. Good. Yeah.